Well, we know in Scripture that we have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. We have His precious and magnificent promises. We have everything we need, and yet there are decisions that we make on a daily basis, or maybe, you know, and then some, some small, some large, and then some very large decisions that we need to make that don't seem to be spoken of in God's Word. God's Word doesn't tell you, uh, Jerry, Mary, Mary, right? God's Word doesn't give directives directly on specific things. But what God's Word does is it gives us the understanding of how we can have a right relationship with the living God who guides us and leads us in everything. Now with that in mind, we're going to see today within the birth of the Philippian church that God led the Apostle Paul, and he led him through different means to come about to do what his will was to bring about the birth of this church. Now, we're going to see today divine direction and then divinely inspired human reception. Would you turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, the book of Acts, and we're going to be looking at chapter 1535 and then on to 1634. So with that in mind, I want to give a little context to the book of Acts. Now, I can't give you a lot of context to it. We'd be teaching that all day today, right? Um, The book of Acts uh, was written by Luke. It was written in a period just before the beginning of Nero's persecution in 64 AD. And it's important to note that Acts is a historical narrative or an account, a true account. And more specifically, it is the true inspired historical account of the acts of the Spirit of God through the apostles. And specifically, we see that the Spirit of God, through the Word of God concerning Jesus, by His witnesses proclaimed, proclaiming Him in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost, remotest parts of the earth. That the book is about the Spirit of God moving uh, His servants to speak of Christ. To speak of Christ. Now we see the beginning in the birth of the church in Pentecost, and then the Word increased as people were saved, beginning with Jews, then moving to the Gentiles. And as we come to our passage in chapter 16, what we're going to see is that Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. Antioch. They are teaching and preaching the Word of God. And then we come to what we call the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. And on a side note, as I share here, you might want to go in the back of your Bibles and look for that little map there that talks about Paul's missionary journeys. Usually you'll have one. If not, that's all right because we won't really need it that much. But it'll help you kind of see the, the towns and the places in which we're going to see Paul moving through. But uh, we're going to be looking at what uh, we call the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. And within this, we're going to see the birth of the Philippian church. And again, as we see the Lord divinely directing them and then divinely inspiring them to receive the word of God, bringing forth the birth of this church in Philippi. With that in mind, let's look at God's divine direction, first of all, in Acts chapter 15. Excuse me, verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord to see how they are. And Barnabas was desiring of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Verse 40. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And he came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. 
Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. And they passed through the Phrygian region and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day, and on the, the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. Now I'm going to stop there in our reading, but we're going to continue and we'll teach through up to verse 34. But what we're going to see here was we have a lot of scripture to go through, but it's a historical narrative. And so I'm not going to get into every little part deeply, but I believe we should be able to see what the Lord wants us to see and what he intends us to understand so that we can respond rightly. And I believe we're going to see that the Lord directs the Apostle Paul and his companions, first of all, to Philippi through different means. He directs them through different means and through different circumstances to get them to be where he is, where he wants them to be. And so first of all, notice they are divinely directed by their own godly desire. Divinely directed by their own godly desire. Back in verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas, in chapter 15 stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. And after some days, the apostle Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now you might remember in Acts 15 earlier that Paul and Barnabas had been in Jerusalem to discuss the issue of circumcision with the apostles and elders. And after what we call the Jerusalem Council was done, Paul and Barnabas along with Judas and Silas were sent a letter to deliver to the church at Antioch. And after some time they were sent away except Paul and Barnabas. They weren't sent away. Verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. What we see here is that uh, first of all, Paul and Barnabas were faithful to their calling. They were teaching the word of the Lord. They were about his business. And we're going to see this throughout, that when we are about God's business, he gives us desires that are within his desires, and we act upon it, and then he directs us within those desires what he wants us to do. They were teaching and preaching the word of God, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord here as we see. It's the word of God. They were sharing as we'll see the gospel, the truth, and then building up the body of Christ through the word of God. He was obedient to the ministry that the Lord had called them to. And then notice on his heart, he has something that he desires to do. You see, I don't think we understand at times that God does use our desires when our desires are his desires, by the way. And if they aren't, or if they are his, or he, he, he is sovereign to direct us and redirect us as he pleases. But notice what he says here. He says, after some days, verse 36, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which he proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. The implication is that Paul has been prompted and desires to go visit the brethren in every city. Now that's speaking of the cities in the first missionary journey that they went on. Those cities in which they had shared the gospel and people had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's go back and see how they are. He has a desire to do this. Let's see how they are. You know, folks, sometimes we can become so paralyzed wondering what the Lord wants us to do. 
And here we see a great example of the Lord who begins to direct the Apostle Paul where he wants him to be. And he does that through his own desires, by the way. The beginning of getting Paul from, from Paul from Antioch to Philippi, which he did not know he was going there, was Paul's own desire to do what was right to see how the churches were doing. Now, there was no mandate for Paul to do that. There was no, you must do this, Paul. Obviously, it was on his heart to do so. And as we follow the Lord, obedient about his business, he's going to bring things on our hearts. He's going to put things on our hearts. And Paul personally desires to go see how they are. You know, when we're about the Lord's business, obediently serving him, not caught up in sin, sometimes we get desires, by the way. Desires for good and godly things. And here the Apostle Paul makes a plan to act upon it, and I believe certainly in the context of prayer. And as we will see also, counsel later on. Now, if you're about his business, faithful in it, maybe, just maybe, he might be putting something on your heart that is biblical. What he might want you to do. You see, often we think, hey, we just want to do this or that, but we need to be following the Lord, obedient to his word, walking with him, and then he puts things on our hearts. We turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. You see, when we trust in the Lord and we're doing the right thing, uh, he changes our hearts towards our lives and our direction and the things that we should do and want to do. He changes our hearts about those things. When you're not following the Lord, I would not uh, take this sermon to think, hey, I feel like I should go do this or that. You know, I'm going to go do it now, right? Well, if you're not following the Lord, I wouldn't do that at all. I'd follow the Lord. Notice what uh, the psalmist writes, Psalm 37, verse 3. Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Walk with the Lord, trust in him, abide in him, and do good. Do the right thing. Do what is good in your life. And then he says, dwell in the lands to the Jews and cultivate faithfulness. Little little farming terminology. Cultivate faithfulness. That means there's work to be done to be faithful, by the way. You know, God's word speaks of those who are faithful. Faithful servants. Faithful those who exhibit his character. And he says, cultivate faithfulness. Are you faithful to what the Lord has called you to do? Are you faithful in raising your children unto the Lord, doing what is right, addressing their sin, working in the midst of their hearts, that they might come to Jesus Christ? Are you faithful in your job, doing your work heartily unto the Lord and not unto men? Are you faithful in your marriage, loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Are you faithful, wives, uh, submitting to your husbands? Are you faithful in serving the Lord in the body of Christ? Are you a faithful person? Where someone looks at you and goes, that is a faithful servant of the Lord. Well, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell and cultivate faithfulness. Be faithful. Trust the Lord and be faithful. Be faithful to what the Lord has called you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. If you died today and you're truly saved here, I don't know if everyone's saved here, the Lord knows the hearts. If you died today, would the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or would he say, what did you do with what I gave you? Would he say, well done, thy good and faithful servant? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. The apostle Paul was doing that. He was faithful. He was doing what the Lord had called him to do. And then notice what he says in verse 4, Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him also and he will do it. You see, when you are following the Lord and you are trusting him, I'm not saying we don't sin, we sin and we confess that, but you're following the Lord, you're faithful, and the Lord begins giving you desires. Delight yourself in him and he will give you the desires of your heart. Paul's desire was not to build Paul's kingdom. Paul's desire was to build Christ's kingdom. Paul wanted to see how they were doing. It was a good desire. But it was from Paul and then from the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we see this trust in him, also in him, and he will do it. Folks, we get so paralyzed at times about making decisions. Walk by the Spirit of God. One said, walk by the Spirit of God and do as you please. 
If you're walking by his spirit, what you please is what he pleases, right? And that's going to be in accordance with his word and his desires. But we are human beings and he gives us desires. And so the first thing is we need to be faithfully following him, obeying him. And then just then maybe the Lord has put something on your heart that is biblical and right. Well, that doesn't mean it's it's a go because we're going to see the Lord directs and moves and changes because the apostle Paul doesn't say here right away. Um, let's go to Philippi and start a church. He doesn't say that. He says, let us go visit the brethren in the cities that we've gone to and see how they're doing. That's how the Lord starts this journey of being in his will in this specific situation. So with that in mind, trust the Lord, cultivate faithfulness, be obedient to him. And sometimes, just sometimes, the Lord might put on your heart his desires, his desires. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul steps out. But right away, there is difficulty. Isn't that the way it is? Right away, when we step out and it appears to be the Lord's will, it seems like there's difficulties that arise. And right now, we're going to see that God directs him, even in the midst of dissension and difficulty. Right away, it happens. Look at verse 37 back in Acts chapter 15. And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark. Now, he's got a desire too, doesn't he? (laughs) Right? Okay, along with them also. Now, you might remember that Barnabas was a Levite of Cyprian birth, whose name was Joseph. He was called Barnabas by the apostles, uh, which is translated or means son of encouragement. We see that back in Acts chapter 4. And obviously, Barnabas, by having his name changed by them, had a gift of encouragement. And he was desirous to take John, called Mark, along with them also to go visit the churches to see how they're doing, to go back where they had gone on their first missionary journey. Now, you might remember that uh, John Mark's mother was the woman who had the house earlier in Acts, chapter 12, where there was a prayer meeting for Peter, who was locked up, and Peter's knocking on the door, right? That was John Mark's mom. And we also know from Colossians chapter 4 that John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. So they're related, right? They're related. Not only physically, but in the Lord, right? They're believers. They're believers. And so we know from Acts chapter 12, 25, that Barnabas and Saul, that is Paul, took John Mark on their first missionary journey. The first missionary journey. And so now Barnabas says, hey, he wants John Mark to go on this second missionary journey. Now, again, we're calling it that. That's what we're calling it. But the second journey. But notice what Paul kept insisting. Verse 38. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him, that's John Mark along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So Paul kept insisting over and over again that they shouldn't take him, the person who had deserted them in the middle of the ministry, by the way, and had not gone with them in the work. John Mark obviously got scared, fearful, cold feet, whatever it was, but he bailed. He bailed. He did not complete that time with them. And obviously the implication is that he would intended to initially, but he bailed on them. The guy bailed on him. Okay? And so that's not good. Apparently he deserted them in the midst of the ministry. And so Paul keeps insisting at this point, nope, John Mark should not go in this one. He should not go in this one. And guess what? Things get a little heated. You know, when, you, when, you're, when you're following desires that are biblical and the Lord's going to use it, sometimes there's some conflict, by the way. You get, a, you get a desire in your heart, what the Lord might want you to do, you start to step out in faith, and guess what? Conflict, right? Notice what happens here. Verse 39. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Wow, we've got a little split up here, don't we? Right? Barnabas takes off with John Mark to Cyprus, but Paul goes, chooses Silas and departs and departed. And notice something interesting. It doesn't say that John Mark and Silas were, or John Mark and Barnabas were committed by the brethren. It doesn't say that, by the way. It says that Paul and Silas were committed by the brethren. And we split verse 40. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. 
You see, true believers know that there's nothing you can do apart from God's grace. Brothers, we commit you to the Lord and to his grace. It's going to be by his grace that you're able to do this. It's by his grace that you're able to do whatever the Lord has called you to do. We commit you to his grace. That's what believers did. They understood that. They understood that. And so here we have this difference, right? We have these different, uh, situ- these, these two different situations. We have the conflict. Now there are all kinds of different views about the situation. Some saying both groups were right, and I don't, and I don't personally believe that. I believe Barnabas in this situation, although well-meaning, was wrong. He should have listened to Paul. You see, sometimes our actions can disqualify us for a time. Sometimes our actions can disqualify us for a time in the ministry. We're going to see that. The Apostle Paul felt in this situation that John Mark was disqualified from going on this trip. He didn't say John Mark is not a believer. He didn't say John Mark is a bad guy. He just didn't feel that he should go because he had deserted in the past. And yet a wonderful thing we see in Scripture is that John Mark was restored. John Mark was restored. Um, Although the Apostle Paul had to give special instructions, Colossians chapter 4, we see that Mark in the future became useful and was faithful to Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 11, and even Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, 13. And although the Gospel of Mark does not identify the inspired writer, historically speaking, it has been attributed to John Mark, seemingly being the case And if that is the case, which we believe it is, what a tremendous turnaround we have. And it was anyway, regardless of that, a tremendous turnaround we have in the life of John Mark. But there are times where what we do may disqualify us for a time. And then there may need to be some instructions concerning a person because of their failures, like we see with John Mark. And obviously John Mark accepted that, and he flourished in the context of obedience to the Lord and being faithful to Paul and then also to Peter. So with this in mind, I believe that the Apostle Paul and Silas were doing what is right there. John, Mark, Barnabas, good intentions. So we have here the tremendous reality that even in the midst of difficulty, difficulty and conflict. This is a pretty big spat, by the way. I don't think we recognize the bigness of it. They split up. John, Paul is wanting to go and he doesn't want to take him. There's a big split up. So evidently Barnabas doesn't think that's the right place to go and the right way to go. So he takes John Mark and goes to, to goes to Cyprus, right? So whatever whatever happens here, so within that, whatever happened uh, with them, we don't know what happened. We'll see later on them reuniting. But we do know that God did restore John Mark, that we, we mess up. But the point is, reputation in ministry in the context of the Lord is important. We're going to see a subtle contrast in a minute that there was a man of good reputation that Paul finds and takes along in in contrast to John Mark who had bailed on the ministry. There's a man of good reputation. So, But before we look at that, notice verse 41. And he was traveling, that's speaking of Paul, through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Those are are, um, Roman provinces. So they've started to go from Antioch, and they're moving towards Asia. They're coming in there. And he does. what is he doing? He is strengthening the churches, obviously in the context of the proclamation of the word of the Lord. Now notice, again, as I mentioned briefly, I think there's a subtle contrast here. There's a subtle contrast. John Mark, who did not have a good reputation at that time, he had bailed is contrasted with someone who did have a good reputation at that time. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. And he, that is Paul, came also to Derby and to Lystra. He's moving along in Asia, right? And, and if you look in your little maps in the back, you'll see that uh, concerning Paul's second missionary journey, that might be helpful to you. And Derby and Lystra then were cities in the Roman, 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 the Roman province of Galatia. And now notice what happens. Luke, who is writing this, wants us to see something that is important. You got this spat with uh, John, Mark, and they, Barnabas and them split. But behold, something is very important here. Look at uh, middle of verse 1. Behold, and behold, a certain disciple was there. And that's Lystra, by the way. Named Timothy, 
the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. We know about them, right, from Second Timothy, right? And then Lois and then Eunice, right? The grandmother who was a believer, true believer, right? But his father was a Greek. And he was what? Well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. He was well spoken by brothers in those cities. He was well spoken. Now, we know Satan is a slanderer. We know Satan levies false accusations. We've seen a lot of that lately, right, on TV? We've seen that. But when someone is truly righteous and doing the right thing, there is a reputation within that. Those other things don't stick. And here, Timothy was well spoken of. No one's saying, hey, Timothy, he's deserted the, the ministry. He's not, not, not a, I wouldn't take him. I, you know, you're going to have to babysit him, you know, whatever. He did not say that at all. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra. What about you? Would you be well spoken of in the context of a relationship with Christ? If someone was the brothers and sisters from another body, say, hey, what do you think about brother so-and-so? Now, a true, genuine statement. Hey, that, that, that guy's faithful, man. He's faithful. He's always trusting the Lord. He's doing what's right. He's doing his work under the Lord. I, he's faithful. Well, I don't know. I never see him around. I don't know. You know, so here we have Timothy well spoken of by the brethren who were in Leicester and Iconium. Now, it's important, and reputation is important. I'm not talking about, you know, things you can't deal with, things we can't stop, which are false accusations. I'm talking about a real reputation before true believers, right? John Mark couldn't go in the ministry because of his reputation of not being faithful. And I praise the Lord later, that's changed, but it did inhibit him in ministry. You know, if you come and say, hey, Bob and Greg, I want to teach a Bible study here, I want to do this or that, you know, that's a wonderful thing. But if you have not shown faithfulness to the Lord, there may be a delay in having that happen until there is faithfulness exhibited. You see? And if you are faithful in your reputation of serving Christ, then the Lord opens those doors and there are opportunities. So I I want to ask you this. Are you faithful? What is your reputation in serving Jesus Christ? Your reputation in serving Jesus Christ. When people call you, well, I can't really do that. What's your reputation in serving Jesus Christ? Well, we're a little busy right now. What is your reputation in serving Christ? Are you a deserter? Do you serve at all? Or are you faithful? Faithful. I mean, there are people in this body that I know I can call and talk to, and they will do whatever I ask them in the Lord in the context of ministry. I have no doubt in my heart that they are faithful to their callings. And I can come and ask them. There's no arguments, no nothing. They're just faithful to it. And I praise the Lord for that. Timothy was faithful. He was well-spoken of the brethren. Turn to Proverbs chapter 22. Reputation is important. And again, Satan is a slanderer, right? Doesn't mean there's not accusations. They may be false accusations, right? Talking about a reputation that's validated by behavior. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is to be desired more than great riches. Favor is better than silver and gold. And then 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7 concerning elders. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church. That's non-believers. So that he might not fall in reproach with the snare of the devil. And then turn to Acts chapter 6. Because there, they got to choose some people to do some ministry. And guess what? The ministry is looking over tables. And they don't just say, hey, let's just choose this guy over here because he works at the, the store. He works at the restaurant. For even the tasks of serving tables, there needs to be a good reputation. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 2. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, but select from among you, brethren, seven men of what? Good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, which we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Timothy had a good reputation. 
He was well spoken of the brethren back in Acts chapter 15 or 16 who were in Lystra and Iconium. And then look at verse 3 back in Acts 16. And Paul wanted this man to go with him. Kind of a difference. There's a contrast. There's a subtle contrast here, right? He didn't want him to go, but he was restored later. But he wanted him to go. He wanted him to go. And he took him. What if Timothy said no? Well, Timothy said yes, didn't he? And he took him. And he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now we know that the Apostle Paul at this point understood completely, because he had been saved by Jesus, he was no longer a Pharisee, he knew completely that circumcision has no, no value, that it was a sign of a covenant. It has no spiritual benefit. Just look back in Acts chapter 15, which is what this Jewish council started about, was the issue of circumcision. Or look in the book of Galatians. We see that he does not see it as, as something that it needs to be done. Okay? But, but he was wise. He was very conscious of those in whom he was ministering to. He knew that the Jews in those areas, if, if he brought a Jew, Timothy's half Jew, who was not circumcised, that that would stumble them. And so Timothy was circumcised for that reason, I believe, as we see. So with that in mind, Timothy is brought with them. And even in the midst of dissension, God still directs. And guess what? God added somebody in for the one he lost, right? Or he didn't lose it, but didn't take with him, right? Isn't that wonderful? If we're following him and relying on him, uh, God is faithful to direct us, even in the midst of difficulties. And again, yes, John Mark was 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 uh, initially not able to go, and he had some restrictions in his ministry, but God turned it around. And if you have been unfaithful, you're one who isn't faithful, God can turn that around. Cultivate, cultivate faithfulness. Be faithful. Be faithful. The ministry should be the most important thing in your life. should be the most important thing. Serving Jesus Christ in all the spheres of our lives, right? So then, we see, first of all, that the Lord directs through one's godly desires and secondly he directs in the midst of difficulty or dissension or dissension now notice he also does through continued obedience look at verse four now while they were passing through the cities now these are the cities that they had gone to initially in the first missionary journey that's what they're talking about basically they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the elders who were Jerusalem for those for them to serve. This was a unique time in the church. It was a transitional time. God had put forth his law. Now most of it, not most of it, but, but those law and, and, the, and the ceremonial aspects, they were shadows pointing to Christ. Christ had fulfilled those things. But there were people who were seriously struggling with, I want to obey God, and I see this here, like we see in Romans chapter 14. And so they gave some special instructions in Acts chapter 15 to give to the churches in regards to these issues. And within that, if you look at Acts chapter 15 earlier, the whole point is we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but yet we don't want to hurt the brethren in that sense, okay? We want to, we want to do what is right. So notice, they were delivering the decrees for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened, what? In the faith, verse 5. They were sharing the word of God. They were being strengthened in the faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. They're being strengthened. And they were increasing in number daily. Paul and Silas being faithful to the task that they had been given back in Jerusalem in chapter 15, being faithful to their desire, being faithful to a godly desire, and and to see how the churches are doing. And now notice the result. They're being strengthened in their faith. Believers and non-believers are coming to faith. They're increasing in number, right? Paul and Silas were faithful to declare the word, to build the church up and to draw in new believers. And again, don't miss it. God directs his people when they're about his business faithfully. If you are not about his business on a day-in, day-out basis, you know, you know, in terms of the relationships you have, work, whatever it might be, you're not about his business, then don't expect your desires to be his desires. It's just not going to happen. Those are your desires. When you're trusting the Lord, walking with him, he may put things on your heart. And God directs. Step out in faith and trust the Lord to direct your steps, as we're going to see. But that's only going to happen in the context of obedience. 
obedience. And what's interesting is as we go out in obedience, sometimes the Lord has to direct us. He has to redirect us. He has to change our path when we go out in obedience. It's not that we were in sin. It's that we stepped out in faith and now the Lord is going to put some roadblocks or whatever it might be and turn us to where he wants us to be because he's faithful. Notice the Lord intervenes directly, intervenes directly. He is faithful to direct Paul's steps. Look at verse 6. And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Wow, this is great. You're stepping out in faith. They're not sinning at all. They're doing the right thing, at least of what they believe God wants to do. These are not written in stone. You shall go here, you shall go there. Paul, you must take, go, leave now and go start the Philippian church. No. Following those desires, and God is leading them. God is leading them. And notice what happens. As they pass through the Phrygian and Galatian regions, something happened. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Very interesting. Obviously, the Lord did not want them to share the gospel at this time in Asia. We're going to see later on in his third missionary journey, he speaks the gospel in Asia a lot. A lot. But this time, nope. Forbidden. Got something else for you to do, Paul, but he didn't know that, right? But he was forbidden. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Now, how was that done? This is in Acts. The Spirit of God was actively intervening in things. We don't know how that happened, but God forbade him to do that. Praise the Lord. He was directing his steps. And in the same way, as if you look at your little maps, so he can't go to Asia, so now he's going to go, okay, well, now we can't go any farther this way. That's the ocean. Let's go this way up to Bithynia. Okay, let's turn that way now. So he says that he was trying to go... They were trying to go to Bithynia. Bithynia, I guess that, Bithynia. I used to call it Bithynia, but I'm going to call it Bithynia. I don't know if that's right either. But you know what I'm saying, right? They were trying to go to Bithynia. And that, that tense of that verb is they were continually, habitually trying to go. But guess what? What does it say? The Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. The Lord is the head of the church. He's ahead of the church. When we're about his business, even in the desires that we have, he's going to direct us. He's going to direct us. It wasn't wrong for them to try to go to Bithynia. It wasn't wrong for them to try to preach in Asia. It wasn't wrong at all. But God, by his spirit, is directing them. The Lord Jesus, the head of the church, is directing them. Isn't that wonderful? You get a desire. You're following the Lord in your life. You don't know there's any open sin. You're you're following the Lord. And you get the desire to maybe do this or go there or whatever that might be. And you step out in faith, having been committed by the body in a sense. You, you trust the Lord. And then the Lord starts to direct. Right? And we see that here. The Lord is directing. The Spirit of God forbade them to speak the, the word in that Roman province of Asia. And he did not, Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to go to Bithynia. Right? He didn't permit them. He didn't permit him. Isn't this wonderful? He sets out based on his own desire in the context of obeying the Lord. And while he's obeying, his desire is to go this way or that way, and the Lord stops him. Isn't that great to know if you trust in the Lord, walk with him, he's going to direct your path? I think I've heard some verses like that, right? Proverbs 16, 19 or 9. The mind of man plans this way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. You trust Him. And the wonderful thing is that if you're wondering what God's will is for a certain situation, if you're obeying Him, walking by the Spirit, step out in faith based on your godly desire. If you have that, He's put that in your heart, step out in faith, trust the Lord, He'll redirect your path. He may even stop you or not permit you, right? He's good. He's very good. So what happens? Now we have a redirection, okay? God not only stops them, he redirects them. Look at uh, verse 8. And passing by Mysia, because they couldn't go to Bithynia, right? 
If you have your little maps, you couldn't go back up northeast. Had to go back. There's only one way to go, right? And that's to the port city of Troas. And so they come to Troas. This is west uh, in Asia. It's a port city in the northwest corner of the province of Asia. And what happens in Troas? The Lord has led them to the perfect place to be directed to the next step. Isn't that great? Verse 9, And in a vision, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Help us. By the way, we're going to see later on that everyone needs help. We need gospel help. We need help to be saved from our sins. And God helps us by having the gospel declared. If you're willing to respond, he will help you. He will save you. So there, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach what? The gospel to them. Now, Macedonia is a province over in Europe. It is just on the, it's the northern part. You have, you have Macedonia, and then you have, like, below it, you have, like, those other towns, Corinth, and those things down in Greece. And we have this intervention of the Lord through this vision. Come to Macedonia. God is faithful. He will direct you. He will lead you. I'm not saying he's going to give you a vision because we have what we need here right now. Right? The word was not complete at that time, and this is the beginning of the church. But God is faithful. The scripture says he will direct your paths. And so here God directly intervenes, and Paul and them rightly conclude that God had called them to preach the gospel to the Macedonians. And again, Macedonia was in Europe across the Aegean Sea from where Paul was in Asia. And now on a side note, something interesting begins at this point. If you are observing, as we read, as we'll see, we have from this point on, we statements. It's apparent until verse 40 of this chapter that Luke has joined them. Luke is the writer of this. And now Luke is involved. You'll see as we go through the rest of this point in Philippi, we, us, we, us. Luke was in Troas evidently and he came on board at this point, literally, right? And we're going to see that later on he stays, evidently chronologically he stays in Philippi when Paul leaves. He stays in Philippi. So with that in mind, notice what happens, verse 11. Therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we set a straight course to Samothras. That's a little island in the Aegean Sea. And the following day to Neapolis, that's a port city in Macedonia. And from there to Philippi, and then notice what he says, Luke tells us here, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia. This is important information. A Roman colony, and we were staying, we, we, get it, we, Luke's with them, We're staying in this city for some days. It's a Roman colony. Very important. Very important. And again, folks, it is crucial for us to understand what goes on in the next few verses that that this was a Roman colony, and it was a special Roman colony. You see, Philippi actually itself was within that. It was called a miniature Rome. It was a miniature Rome. It was where officers of the Roman army would retire to go to. And the Philippians were proud of their Roman citizenship. One uh, pastor writes, The city of Philippi was not just an ordinary city. It was granted special status by Caesar after the defeat of Antony during the Civil War. After the Battle of Actium, which squelched the rebellion, a large number of soldiers retired to that city, so it was declared to be a Roman colony. The city was a Roman colony. This special status invoked a sense of pride by its inhabitants. It was Rome away from Rome, and that pride is seen in the, quotes our passage here. They themselves saw themselves as, quote, Romans. Rome was their mother, and they never forgot to whom they belonged. They spoke Latin. They wore Roman dress. They were called magistrates by their Latin titles. They were deeply into Roman citizenship and all that it meant. Support and understand that, because Luke says it's a Roman colony. Now, they would know that, but God wants us to know that, Right? God wants us to know that. And so Paul understood the reason why he had gone there, to preach the gospel to them, end of verse 10. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news concerning Jesus Christ. It is the good news that God took on human flesh. 
that God took on human flesh, that he lived the perfect life, that he died for our sins. He went to the cross, paid the penalty of our sins on the cross in our place. And he died and he rose on the third day. He died for our sins. And it's not good news unless you know what he did. And you understand that you're a sinner. You see, if you don't know what you're being saved from, it's not good news. But it's great news if you recognize you need to be saved. Later on, we're going to see someone who says, what must I do to be saved? I need a savior. And we're going to see the answers, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And so they're going to preach the gospel there. That's why Paul went there. That's why he went there. And so he and his companions arrive in Philippi. Isn't it amazing how God works? He has a desire to go to the cities. There's conflict. There's a subtraction. Then there's addition. There's, there's difficulty, but all in the midst of him trusting. There is stoppage, there is prohibition, and there is redirection. Tremendous and wonderful reality. Brothers and sisters, if you're about his business, you're going to have biblical desires. Desires that are good. Step out of faith as the Lord leads, as you prayerfully do, as I'm sure the Apostle Paul did, we see that throughout, and allow him to direct your path, even change your desires. The Apostle Paul isn't saying at this point, oh, we better go back to all those cities to go ahead and share the gospel that we first went to. That was initially the desire he had. Now he knows what the Lord is doing through this. God has taken him to this point where he's going to declare the gospel in Philippi. And then we see, notice, the birth of the Philippian church. Look at verse 13. And on a Sabbath day, we went outside to the side, we went outside the gate to the, to a riverside where there were supposing, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed on us. This is a truly wonderful, wonderful portion of Scripture. We see the church at Philippi birthed through a divinely enabled response to the word, to the word. Look at verse 13 again. And on the Sabbath day, that's Saturday, right? That's a Jewish Sabbath. We went out to the gate, outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposing there would be a place of prayer and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Isn't it amazing? This church starts with women, right? God is so gracious. He's so kind. And notice, there are some who would say that Paul was still following Jewish traditions, by the way. They would wrongly say that, you know? There are some, there's, there's an infection within the evangelical church these days with messianic congregations who, who bring in Judaism into the church. Like, and some of them worship on Saturdays because of passages like this. He wasn't going there to worship. He was going there, as we'll see, to find worshipers to share the gospel. That's what he was doing. You see, because what Paul would do, would share, he would go to a synagogue first to share the gospel. If you look at Paul in Acts, he goes to the synagogue. Where are the Jews? God fears. Goes to the synagogue, shares the word of God. And if they don't respond, wipes his dust off his feet. Now, evidently, there were not enough people to form a synagogue in Philippi. It takes ten people to do so. And so with that in mind, they would have a place of prayer where people would assemble God fears those who wanted to follow the Lord of Israel, where they would assemble and pray. And so Paul goes to look for that place, and he goes there, and he finds some women praying there. Isn't that great? And guess what? They are worshipers. She's called a worshiper of God. Now, she's not saved yet. She is responding to the truth that God is bringing forth, and she's going to respond even further when the gospel comes forth. And on a Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposing. We're going to look for those who might want to follow Christ. We're going to look for them first. We're going to look for those who are trying to follow Yahweh. We're going to look for them. There's some principles here in, in evangelism. Uh, they do go to look for the softer hearts first. We see later on in Acts chapter um, 10 that anyone who fears God is welcome to him. We'll see that. They don't go to the hardened hearts and spill the gospel out all over and have it trampled up. 
They go to a place where there are those who are soft. And so here, Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. There are just women there. What a tremendous thing. And Paul began speaking with the women who had assembled. And obviously, because he said it earlier, God had, they believed God had charged them to share the gospel. They were sharing the gospel in context. They're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happened? A certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, that's in Asia, but she's obviously a resident here because she has a house here, a seller of purple fabric. She's a businesswoman, a worshiper of God. She was wanting to worship the God of Israel. That's why she was down at the river, by the way, was listening. What was she listening to? The gospel that the apostle Paul was sharing, that they were sharing. Notice it says we were sharing. And notice what happens. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. You know, it's the Lord who opens a heart for us to respond. And if he has opened your heart to the gospel and you do not respond, you're in deep trouble. You see, the Lord convicts. He enlightens every man. And he opened her heart to respond. Her heart was closed and it was opened to respond to the gospel. I need a savior. I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus took on human flesh. God became man. That he died for my sins, paid the full price. And that he was buried and rose from the dead. And whoever believed in the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And she responded. She responded. This is the first convert in Europe. And what's interesting is she's a worshiper of God, but yet she hadn't been saved yet. And here she responds to the gospel, the thing spoken by Paul. Actually, turn to Acts chapter 10 for a minute. Acts chapter 10. This is when Peter was declaring to uh, the first Gentile convert. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The Apostle Paul shared the gospel with these ladies who were worshipers of God. At least they they weren't saved yet. And they responded. You see, God places you in a place where you can hear the word. And he opens your heart to respond because we are dead in our sins. We can't respond, but he opens it. But then it's your choice. Do you want to respond or not? Are you going to believe the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you going to harden your heart? You've got to harden your heart. Notice what's amazing about Lydia's conversion. The Lord opened her heart. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Folks, if your heart has been hardened, you have closed it, pray that the Lord would open it. Open my heart, Lord God, to respond. To respond. So then here, God saves Lydia and the implication of some of the other women, but here specifically it's Lydia. And notice there's, there's a response. She's, she's, she's changed. There's a genuine conversion. There's a change. When someone believes in Jesus Christ and there's no change, I wonder if they believed in Jesus Christ. There is an instant change here. And she said, and, she, and when she and her whole household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed on us. She had an immediate desire to, to help them. Stay in my house. Stay in my house right away. And it says her and her household were baptized. Now there's some bad doctrine out there that basically based on the next portion we're going to look at, that says, well, if you believe, your household's going to believe also. Well, no, it's, it's the gospel that we respond to that we're saved. And obviously her household heard the gospel too, and they responded. And immediately they were baptized. That's an outward symbol of an, an inward reality. It's wanting to identify with Jesus Christ. I want to be obedient. And right away they were obedient. And right away they were gracious and loving towards the brothers and sisters, new brothers and sisters in Christ, or brothers in Christ. So with that in mind, we had the beginning of the Philippian church. But notice, uh, now in the midst of this, we have satanic opposition. We have direct demonic opposition initially guised as an ally. Look at verse 18. 
And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This is a demon-possessed slave girl who through the demonic is able to fortune-tell and actually make a good profit at it because the demons are helping her out. Right? We're going to see that. Having a spirit of divination. And she's making her masters big bucks. Big bucks. This is the, 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 the Philippi psychic hotline, all right? This is what she is doing, all right? Fortune telling. And I posit to you that if you think the fortune telling and psychic stuff is just mumbo jumbo, nothing, there's demonic stuff behind that, folks. There is demonism behind that, okay? And here we see this in this passage. She was fortune telling and she made a lot of money at it because of the demon. Because later on, she doesn't make money when the demons are gone. So they are helping her somehow bring about fortunes that people want to pay for, okay? That's what we're going to say. So with that in mind, notice what she's doing. Verse 17. Following after us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. That's an amazing statement. Is that true? Yes, it is true. So why is a demon-possessed slave girl appearing to ally herself, be an ally with Paul and Silas, and we have Luke at least, right? Why? Why is she saying, hey, these guys have the way of salvation. This is, listen to them, basically. Following them every day. Da, 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 da. There they are, right? And she was doing this for many days. Verse 18. But Paul, being was greatly annoyed, turned... Now, that's a, that's a spiritual annoyance, right? <laughs> Okay, being greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very moment. Now, why would Paul be annoyed if it was the gospel going out or, or they're pointing to him? Hey, hey, that's all right. She's saying we, we got the gospel. That's a good thing. No. No, we have a fortune teller allying herself with the, pra- the proclaimers of the gospel, proclaiming they have the way of salvation. But she's not saved. The Lord is not working through her at all. There are different reasons there. You see, Satan always tries to corrupt the ministry by seemingly associating with the ministry and agreeing with it and corrupting it. She's a demon-possessed girl. And she's going to be associated? Wow, they should have just brought her in. Hey, she's got some good ideas, right? No. Paul was greatly annoyed and cast out the demon. And so there was opposition, but it was opposition guised, in a sense, as an ally initially. But guess what? When that doesn't happen, when when God addresses it, Paul casts out the demon. Now it's going to be direct opposition. Okay? Look at verse 19. But when her master saw her hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought the, in the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and they are proclaiming customs in which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. Remember, Philippi was a mini-Rome. Roman citizenship was exalted. And if you were not a Roman citizen, you did not have the rights of a Roman citizen. So they're making these false accusations, and they're saying they're Jews, they're not Romans. And so they stirred up the magistrates to, to bring the punishment without a trial, by the way, because they weren't Romans. They falsely accused them. And notice what happens. Verse 22, and a crowd rose up together against them. That's Paul and Silas. Now it's interesting. Luke is not there. Guess what? He's not a Jew. He's with them because we'll see the wheeze. But he's not the one they arrest. They arrest the Jews. You see what I'm saying? Assuming that they're not Roman citizens, by the way, which they're going to have a surprise in a little bit. And so a crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Ouch. No trial. Guilty beaten with rods, thrown into the inner prison. In jails in these places, you'd have someone who would basically live on top of the jail, the jailer, and there would be floors down below underneath where they have the cells, and then the inner cells underneath. And so they're thrown into prison. This is evil. Accusation, 
false accusation, guilty until proven nothing. You're guilty, right? You're guilty and you're beaten and you're imprisoned. But it's not deserved. So they had the opposition initially that seemed to go along with them. Secret, sneaky, demonic opposition. That didn't work. Now it's the full frontal attack. And so what happens? Paul and Silas, do they become angry, disillusioned, start complaining, maybe organize the prisoners to attempt a prison break, right? Um, well, for those of you who know the story, I'm being facetious. The opposite is true. They knew they had come to share the gospel. That's why they're in Philippi. That's what God had called them to do. And notice what happens in verse 25. But at about midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Praying and singing hymns of praise to who or for who? To God. They weren't singing so that everyone would hear them. They were singing to God. There are some people who make a big deal about their religiousness for people to hear. That's not what they're doing. They're singing praises to God. And they're praying. And the prisoners were listening to them. This is amazing. They're listening. They're singing praises of hymns of praise to God. Tremendous, wonderful reality. In the midst of a terrible circumstance, they trust the Lord. And they can praise him. And they can give him glory. Singing hymns of praise to the Lord. He saved us from our sins. He's great. He died for our sins. Praises. To the Lord. You know, I don't know what kind of songs you would hum and sing if you were in jail. Would you be humming, There is a fountain filled with blood, and can it be at the cross, our great Savior? The prisoners were listening to them. By the way, the, 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 evidently the walls were thin in this prison, right? At least the inner walls. <laughs> so what happens? But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly... There came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. This is amazing. This is amazing. God shakes up the place, great earthquake. The doors, the house obviously crumbles to the point where the doors open. Chains are removed. And look what happens here. So how does the jailer respond? By the way, if you were a Roman jailer and you lost your prisoners, you were dead. You see, there were consequences if you did your job wrong back in Rome, by the way. You were going to die. Okay, If you let your prisoners go, that's what happens. So he knows that, and he's assuming that. And when the jailer had been roused, verse 27, out of sleep, he had seen the door and had seen the doors opened. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He, he's going to get killed by Rome, so he's going to do it himself. Supposing what? That the prisoners had escaped. And notice... What Paul does, verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. That's amazing. They could have escaped. They could have all run away. And, and somehow Paul's influence influenced the rest of the prisoners, by the way. Remember, they were all listening. Those other guys could have split, right? But they were all there. They were all there. And so what does the jailer do? And he says, but he cried, but Paul cried, a lot of us do not harm yourself, we're all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. That's a righteous, godly fear, by the way. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now this doesn't come out of nowhere. How does a, how does a Philippian jailer living in a Roman uh, colony that hasn't heard the gospel all of a sudden know about salvation? Obviously, he's been listening to their prayers and to their hymns of praise. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Oh, I pray that's your heart if you don't know Christ. That you would be drawn to the conviction and fear of punishment and yet recognize your need for salvation. Say in your heart of hearts, what must I do to be saved? Save from my sin tremendous reality and what's the answer believe in the lord jesus christ and you shall be saved you and your whole household and they that's paul and silas by the way spoke the word of god were the lord to him together with all who were in his household so he says believe in the lord jesus christ you shall be saved and then notice he explains it they spoke the word to them 
Sometimes people say, that's all i got to say is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Well, sometimes they need an explanation. What does that mean from the Word of God? And they spoke the Word of God to them together with their whole household. Tremendous, wonderful reality. And what happens? Verse 33, and he took them that very hour that, that night and washed their wounds. Here we see the fruit of salvation right away. This is a guy who was their jailer, right? He, he could have washed their wounds beforehand, right? He certainly didn't before, did he? They were thrown in jail with, with the bloody beat, 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 uh, marks on them. And immediately he was what? Baptized. He and all his household. Tremendous. They heard the word of God. They heard the word of God. Salvation. And notice more fruit of salvation. And he brought them into his house and set food before them. He's, he, there's a genuine love for believers at this point. And there's a genuine joy over salvation. Look at this. And rejoiced greatly. What? Having believed in God with his whole household. Tremendous. Tremendous joy when you truly believe in Jesus. When you truly realize what he has saved you from. When you are saved from your sins and you're, you're brought into a relationship with the living God and eternal life. There's joy. And there's a love for the body of Christ. You see that with Lydia. You see that with the jailer. And there's obedience. They got baptized right away. And this is the start of the Philippian church. And it all started with the Apostle Paul desiring to go see how the churches were where they had been before. And God redirected those desires in the midst of conflict, in the midst of stopping them from going one way and leading them to where they needed to be. And we have the birth of the Philippian church. Some of you are in need of salvation. You really do need to get to the point of your heart, what must I do to be saved? And have a genuine fear of God and turn and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe in him. And then for those of us, brothers and sisters, there's so many lessons here. I mean, we could go on for another hour and talk about all the tremendous applications, but be about the Lord's business. Be faithful. Cultivate faithfulness. Trust him. Dwell in the land. Cultivate faithfulness. If the, heart move, if the Lord moves your heart with a desire that's biblical and good, step forward in the context of trusting him and relying on him. And then trust him to direct your path. Paul was directed to be able to share this tremendous reality. And when opposition comes, pray and sing hymns of praise to God. Let's pray. Father, just such a wonderful passage how you, through your son, the head of the church, brought about by your spirit uh, the beginning of this European church. Lord, thank you for showing us this in your word. Lord, help us to learn from it. Help us to be those who are about your business, who walk with you, who trust you. And as you put things on our hearts, may we step out in faith and then allow you to direct our paths, Lord God. That we would be where you want us to be, when you want us to be there. That we'd be ready to share for your glory. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and let's let us sing hymns of praise to God. And let's uh, sing Jesus paid it all.